Well, if you have your Bible today, we're, co- we're continuing in our Renewed series. And um, uh, for those uh, who haven't been here, you can go to Calvary.online. You can listen to the messages and catch up. But uh, uh, something God spoke to me back in July of 2020, he, he actually so showed me that out of the charred landscape of 2020, he was going to begin a brand new work of renewal in the body of Christ in 2021, that new life would begin to spring forth, that we would mount up on wings as eagles, that we would run and not grow weary, that we would walk and not faint, and there would be a, a, a massive work of Jesus in the hearts of his people renewing us to his purpose. And most of us uh, don't really realize that renewal is the work of Jesus. He makes all things new. Matter of fact, if you look at the scripture in Revelation chapter uh, 21, verse 5, you find Jesus making this statement before all of eternity as he's making a new heaven and new earth, new Jerusalem coming down out of the sky. One day this will happen. He says these words, behold, I make all things new. He says, write this for these words are faithful and true. These words are true and faithful. Now, this is what Jesus does. This is what he will do in the future, and it is what he is doing today. When you, when you come into relationship with God, he makes all things new. Now, as he's making things new here at Calvary, one of the things he said, he says, we need to reach back. We need to go back to the basics. We need to get some love, some things about love right. And we, we talked about our overall culture here, the, the, the mission of Calvary, where, which is together extravagantly love Jesus and selflessly love people. And that's the overall corporate culture of this place. That's what we want God to do in us corporately. But God not only wants to do something with us as a group, but he wants to do something personal in you. He wants to do something personal in you. And we will never fully embrace God's mission for the house unless we embrace God's vision for us personally. Now, we wrote down four things that we believe that God wants um, to do in the life of every believer. Every person who comes through the door, this is what we believe with all of our hearts that God wants to do and actually promises to do in the life of those who place faith in him. And that is simply this. We want to see people saved, healed, empowered, and launched into their calling. You say, how do you come up with those four things, Pastor Otis? Well, it's because 3,500 years ago, God made four promises to his people Israel, which still continues today. It laid out a model for what God wants to do in every person's life. There were four promises given in Exodus 6, and you can turn there if you'd like. By the way, all of our notes are on the Bible app. You can go to calvary.online and click today's message. All of these notes, all of these scriptures will, will come up on your phone or your device, and you could certainly add your own notes to them. Now, he gave us four promises in this statement in Exodus chapter 6, and these these. Um, These promises in Exodus 6, they are known as the Passover promises. Now, uh, all of us who just experienced the longest election season 
in the history of mankind understood that there are promises that are made in campaign season, right? Now, when, camp, when campaign promises are made, some of them we are hoping never happen. <laughs> we hope to God some of them never, ever, ever take place. So when you hear the word promise, you know, it could be that you um, are, are, are kind of in that mode. Well, you know what? A promise is just something that is said, it's grandiose, it's a big idea, kind of to get a person to side with another person. Well, let me just tell you that when God makes a promise, it's not like that at all. Because God is not a man that he could lie. And God says this, he says, he goes, my word will prosper in the thing that I sent it to. That's Isaiah 55, verse 11. He said, it will prosper in the, the, the very thing that I send it to do. It will not return void. So when God makes promises, it will come to pass. Some of us need a little bit of a childlike heart when it comes to promises. Have you ever, uh, for those of you who have children, and one day um, uh, uh, some of you who are just entering into that age, maybe you're dating or engaged, you don't have children yet. Uh, you know, some of us need a childlike approach to promises. Have you ever said, uh, you know, something uh, to your kid? You know, I have my, uh, my youngest son. He is a bit of an adventurous spirit. Uh, his name's Asher, and uh, he always wants me to take him someplace fun, okay? And it's always a lot of money. <laughs> it's never cheap. Always a lot of money. It's like, Dad, take me. Unlimited go-karts. Take me. Roller coasters. Take me. I'm like, you know, son, we, we might do that. The next day, this is what I will hear. Dad, when are we going? I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, I might take it. No, no, no. You promised. You promised. There was a little bit of hope there, and a kid just says, no, no, no. I'm, I'm believing that that is going to take place. Can I just say, if you get a little bit of hope from Scripture, you need a childlike heart when it comes to the area of promise. That you get a little bit of hope from Scripture, and you'd be like, God, you promised. Come on, you promised. But I want to tell you, there are some promises that are really clear in the scripture. And these promises, you can take them to the bank. They're going to happen. And they're going to be produced in our life. Now, Exodus 6 is the moment where Moses, he's had a rough go. He was in Egypt. He's now been on the backside of a desert shepherding sheep. I don't know if you know anything about a desert. There's not much grass in a desert. Not a real smart place to take sheep. So he had a bad go of it in Egypt. It's not going that well in the desert. And then God shows up in a burning bush and says, I'm, I'm sending you to my people in Egypt. They're groaning. They're crying out for, for me to come and rescue and, and to bring them out of this bondage. And in Exodus chapter 6, he says, tell my children these four I will promises. And what these four I will promises reveal is what God wants to do in every person even today. 
It was true 3,500 years ago, and it's true today. And we're going to read it together, and we're going to talk about these first two promises this week, and we're going to let God renew us in these two promises so we can step into the next two promises. In Exodus 6, verse 6, it says this, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord your God. Notice the words, I will. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, the four statements in our vision for every person are based on these four I will promises. And there's a reason why that these four, and I'm, I bring up this particular passage, it's because every year at Passover, practicing Jews read these passages as a lamb has filled their table. They take a lamb and they actually celebrate Passover and there are four toasts that are given during Passover from four different cups. Each one of them has a name. Each cup is named, and with as they're reading this, they say, this is the first cup, this is the first promise, second cup, second promise, third cup, third promise, fourth cup, fourth promise. So Passover, as they're going through it, and you go in order, the cups have names, and the first cup is called the cup of sanctification. This is what it's named in Passover. That sanctification is really a fancy word to be set apart to God for his use. It's salvation. It's God setting us apart. The next cup is the cup of deliverance. Now, I know that makes you think weird thoughts about a movie you saw a long time ago. But deliverance isn't really that weird when you actually think what it is, is, is God healing us. It's God healing us. Next, there is the cup of redemption, which is empowerment. The, another way to think of this is God taking some, someone who is living a life outside of his original intent and restoring them to his original call on their life. That is the cup of redemption. He says, I'm buying you back and I'm restoring you so that you can walk in your original call. And we're going to talk about that next week. And then lastly, there's the cup of praise. The last cup, it's the cup of Hallel in Hebrew and it is, simply put, this cup of living God's dream. It is living God's dream for your life. Saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. will be intimately connected in heart, thought, and action. We're going to look at these first two this, uh, this morning. And I, I really... And, and praying that God would give you revelation that he's made these promises to all of us 
and desires all of us to experience the benefits of these promises. The first promise that we're going to talk about is simply this from Exodus 6. God says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Another translation says, from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is when you are saved. He says, I will bring you out. Now, if you don't know the picture or the story of how the people of God got to Egypt, you should know this. There was a famine in Israel. And Joseph, through a long uh, story of being betrayed by his brothers, ends up in Egypt. He ends up being second in command. Uh, His brothers and his dad, they all come down to Egypt because they need to be fed. Joseph has saved the the nation, literally, from this great famine. God speaks to him, shows him how to do it. And then basically all of Israel moves to Egypt. And they are blessed for a while. But uh, Joseph dies. And many of those who had experienced that original moment, they pass away. The Pharaoh that they had favor with now shifts and changes. And now the new Pharaoh comes in and he looks at God's people and they are multiplying. I mean, they are growing. They are flourishing. And he says, oh no, if we don't put a stop to this, they're going to take over Egypt. And so this Pharaoh says, I have to make them slaves. I have to make them slaves. And as you look at this this story, I can't help but notice the similarities between what Pharaoh did and what Satan does to everyone apart from having a relationship with God. Let me just give you just, just three examples of what Pharaoh did. And let's see, perhaps, if maybe some of you can't identify with feeling how the children of Israel felt when they were enslaved. First, he forced the Jews to make bricks. He forced them to make bricks. So much of what you see in Egypt today and antiquity, the Jews had a, a, a part of playing in it. They, they built much of what you see. So um, they were forced to make bricks. How many of you know they were not born to make bricks? They were forced to make bricks. So they begin to feel, and rightfully so, enslaved. And I I believe that there are people here today, you feel like, man, I feel like I'm forced to live the way I'm living right now. That there's something bigger and greater than myself at play and at work. Matter of fact, one of the ways that you could actually define uh, slavery is simply this, being subservient to a dominating influence. Jesus said it this way. He says, he says uh, uh, I tell you the truth, John 8, 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Many people feel that way apart from, apart from Christ. They feel, man, I'm stuck in sin. I, I can't get out of it. Uh, people who, who don't really have an understanding of what this first cup is really all about, they say, I don't understand how those Christians do it. 
I don't understand. I can't do it. I can't be like them. I've got good news for you. This isn't about you. This first promise doesn't really have much to do with us at all. This is God saying, I will bring you out from under the yoke. He says, you feel like a slave now. He says, you need to look to me to be your deliverer. You feel enslaved. Let me give you another thing that the the Pharaoh did. The Pharaoh actually, at one point, because the people of God were, were, were growing so rapidly, he murdered the babies. He took the young boys and they, they, they murdered the babies. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, the murder of babies is the Antichrist spirit. It is at work today just like it was then, 3,500 years ago. I'm not making a political statement. That is a statement of truth. But I don't want you to just think about uh, inherently how awful that act was. I want you to actually think about all of the lost potential. All of what could have been killed. Have you ever seen someone who, who, who has no idea how to get out from being trapped in a life of sin and you see their life and perhaps they turn to addiction or they're turning to other things and, and you see their life spiral out of control and, and now that where there was so much potential you see hardly any, this is exactly what many people feel like who are trapped under the dominating influence of Satan. We feel empty. Like I haven't reached my potential. I'm just so empty. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel completely empty. Well, that's exactly what Pharaoh was doing. And I want to tell you that's exactly what Satan is doing today. Trying to make people feel empty. And then uh, another thing Pharaoh did as he got angry and angrier at the people of God, he stopped giving them straw to make brick. Okay? So, so he, this is what he did. He gave them an impossible burden. An impossible burden. So now, not only do they have to make brick, but we're not giving you the straw. So you're going to have to get up earlier, go find it for yourself, go do it all yourself. And I promise you right now in this world, there is a spirit that's saying, hey, go find your own spiritual nourishment in whatever way you want to. Go find this sense of fulfillment somewhere else so you can put together a life. Go search here, search there. And many people are searching. They say, okay, well, maybe, maybe if, I, if I try this religion or try that way or if I, if I just eat a little better or, or I sleep a little more or, you know, some people kind of turned up. Maybe if I just stay numb, if I just stay a little bit buzzed and drunk or a little bit high, then I'm going to be okay. And they're going 
going and going and going and not finding, or then they think, oh, maybe it's success, and I can try to reach for success and find some element of satisfaction in my life, and I want to tell you the enemy is enslaving us with an impossible task of bringing fulfillment into our own lives. It's an impossible task, and if you're in the middle of that grinder, then I want to tell you, you probably feel exhausted. Because you're searching and searching, and you think the next relationship is going to satisfy, and it doesn't. And the next promotion, and it, it just doesn't satisfy. You're exhausted. That's what this first promise is about. But this promise gets way better. And it gets really good. You, when you see that there is a Pharaoh named Satan, and then you be really begin to see what is really at play with this first promise, it gets really good. See, John 10.10, Jesus comes along. He says, the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He's saying, listen, this is what the enemy wants you to do. He wants to keep you bound, enslaved, exhausted, empty. He wants to keep you in that place. He goes, but not me. I have come that you might have life. Why did he put it that way? Why did he put it that way? I've come that you might have life. This is where the news gets really good. Ephesians chapter 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What? I'm dead. Yeah, you're dead. Anybody really encouraged by that? In which you used to live, listen, when you followed the ways of this world, that's the Pharaoh, that's Satan, that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you're dead in your trespasses and sin when you follow the ways of the world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So if you don't have a relationship with God, having experienced this first promise, you are dead. And this is wonderful. Say, why is that wonderful? Because dead people can't help themselves. It takes a God making a promise saying, I will bring you out of the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you out. Not you will bring you out. I will bring you out. This is what God does. He looks down on us in our death. This is why when everybody else is trying every other thing, and some people are like, you know, I kind of tried the Christian thing or whatever. Didn't really work for me. No, you didn't. The problem is, is you tried. Instead of received what God could only do on his own. And listen, the problem really is, is unless you attach yourself to someone who has resurrection life, you're going to stay dead. 
Jesus is the one that, that, that comes to us and he says, I will bring you out of the slavery of sin. It's death and I will give you life. That's why Ephesians 2 goes on to say, it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. God had to bring us out. We could never free ourselves, and this is why it's so wonderful. The, the children of Israel couldn't free themselves from Egypt, but God stepped in. And humanity could not free themselves from the enslavement of sin. But God stepped in, sent his only son to pay the price to set us free. See, the wages, the payment of sin, it's death. Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life. He says, I will what? Sanctify you. I will save you. I will set you apart to myself. This is beautiful. And that's just the first cup. The first promise. Now the next promise is wonderful as well. It is, it is the cup of deliverance. It's the cup of deliverance. The second promise in Exodus 6.6, 6, it says, And I will rescue you from their bondage. At first glance, if you were just kind of reading this through, you would kind of think, well, God, did God just say the same thing twice? Nope, he didn't. His people understand that. Why? Because they accept it as a second promise celebrated in Passover. It's a second promise. It's not the same promise restated. The first one's the cup of sanctification, God setting you apart to himself. The next one is the cup of deliverance. Here's how I like to say it. The first cup is about God taking us out of Egypt. The second cup is about God then removing Egypt out of us. The first cup, the, what we do is we are born again. It's not attached to us cleaning ourselves up. It's not about church membership. It's not about you reading your Bible more so you're in. It's not about you attending more prayer meetings so you're in. It's not about you doing anything. It's about what God did to actually save you. And then the next step, which is where most people are stuck... Most believers are stuck in this place is where God begins to take us from the place of thinking like a slave to thinking like a son or a daughter. He says, I will remove, rescue you from their bondage and its influence. God, by his grace, brought us out of Egypt, but now wants to get Egypt out of us. The cup of deliverance is where we begin the process of transformation. Listen, salvation is 100%. It's free. It's a gift. You receive it when you repent and you believe. However, transformation is a process, and it requires action. It requires action. Philippians uh, chapter 2, 
verse 12 and 13. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because most of us have this verse memorized in a more familiar translation. It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. Uh, this is the in, in more uh, New King James, it says it this way. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But it, it includes an element of saying, listen, deliverance and, and this, this transformation is something that I am actually going to have to act upon. I am going to have to participate. Here's what it looked like in the Old Testament. Follow the cloud and the fire. Wherever it goes, follow the cloud and the fire. How many of you know that if you were a slave and God set you free from Egypt and you want to begin to walk like a son and you stay and go back to Egypt... You're not going to experience the transformation that God wants to bring at Sinai on the other side of the Red Sea. You're not. Why? Because you never responded to the the new desire that God put in you by his spirit to take you into the place of transformation. You have got to say yes. This is where your will matters. This is where our will comes into play. Now, I want to help you understand this in a little, little bit uh, uh, better way. Uh, you, much like God, uh, are a triune being. You are body, you are soul, and you are spirit. The body is the physical part of you. Probably some of you right now, you're starting to feel the rumbling in your, your, your stomach, and you're saying, uh, you know, your body is saying, hungry. Your body is saying hungry. Uh, some of you, uh, uh, anybody in here this morning, uh, just who will be honest and truthful, uh, anybody hit a snooze button this morning, raise your hand, raise your hand. Oh, praise God. We had a lot of liars in first service. Just saying there was only one truthful person, either that or they're really morning people and they didn't need an alarm. They were up waiting saying, why is this so late at 8 a.m.? Um, and so, and, and so your body said, more sleep. How many of you know uh, it's good to take some clues? Pain is an indicator that maybe something's wrong, you should do something. But how many of you understand if you only follow your body, it's going to end up in a terrible place? My body likes to overeat. I have to tell it No. But then there's the other part, the mind, the will, and the emotions, that soulish part of us. By the way, that's not a really good leader either. That's not a good leader. A mind, you know, it's just whatever naturally comes to my mind. The, the, my emotions. Anybody ever been just led by their emotions and found themselves in a terrible place? Matter of fact, emotions are such a terrible leader that if somebody gets depressed enough, they will actually harm their body. And their body is saying, no, 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 no. But their motions, when they're in charge, they say, I don't care what the body feels like. My emotions and depression says, I got to stop this feeling, this emotion. So emotions are what? A terrible leader. 
They are to be harnessed and welcomed and submitted to what? Our spirit. That's the part of you that's like God. That's the part of you that's born again. But many people never experience deliverance because we don't, we don't really focus on what we need to focus on so that we, we live in this promise of God removing Egypt from us. So what are the things that we need to focus on? I'll give you three of them. First uh, is victory over sin. We need to focus on victory over sin. Now, um, I like to, now, it, just in case there's some really deep theologians here, I'm going to give you a simple definition of this, okay? Uh, when I say victory over sin, it's the wrong I choose to do. It's the wrong I choose to do, okay? And by the way, if you ever need some comfort in this area, you can read this passage, which I'm about to read to you, written by the Apostle Paul, okay? Romans chapter 7, in the NIV, verse 21, says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, that's my spirit, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making a prisoner of the law of sin. It says, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. That's in my flesh. That's in my emotions. What a wretched man I am. By the way, this is the Apostle Paul blowing off steam. And then he just yells out, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I believe he asked this question because many people ask this question. And then guess what? He gives the answer. Thanks be to God who delivers, that's the second cup, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. He's saying, listen, I need my spirit to grow in strength and make both my soul and my body follow along to a strong spirit, which happens by beholding Jesus, becoming more intimate with Jesus, walking with Jesus. Jesus said these words in John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Second area, if you want to focus on this, this cup of healing, is you need healing from wounds. Uh, if the first is victory over sin, the wrong I choose to do, healing from wounds is the wrong that was done to me. Look at this, Ephesians 4, 26. This is revelatory. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. This is saying, listen, I, you're angry. Why? Not because of what you have done, but because of what someone else has done to you. He says, whatever you do, you have to let that go daily. You have to let that go daily. Some of you in here were mistreated, betrayed at the highest level. And you have wounds from the past which are actually keeping you trapped 
in this cup, that God wants you to experience this deliverance. He wants you to experience the healing. But because we are so holding on to the anger and the betrayal and the hurt, we cannot move forward into the promises of actually walking in all that God wants to us. Why? Because we are stuck in yesterday. Let me say it to you this way. If you don't let go of the hurts of yesterday, you will never walk in victory today. You have to forgive. You have to let it go. He's saying, listen, don't let the sun go down. He says, you can't let that toxic emotion run wild in your heart. And I know, I know what goes through everyone's mind in here, right? Because you see people come into church and they're all Southern and wearing a jacket and a tie, unlike me. And they put on their face, and they've come to church, and you think to yourself, man, they've never gone through anything. And if they had gone through something like I've gone through, it could be that they would feel the same warfare on the inside that I feel. And I want to tell you, there is also this option that they let go of the hurts and the betrayal and the the things that were way out of their control and said, God, I forgive. God, I trust. God, I drink of this cup. So you don't make me think like a slave. You make me think like a son so I can be free. If you'd sit down with some of these folks, instead of judging from afar and say, tell me your story, what you would hear oftentimes is the most free people actually have quite a devastating story from the past, but they just have found that there's an amazing God who resurrects us and gives us new life and leads us into liberty. So we, we focus on victory over sin and healing of wounds. And then last one is the authority over the enemy. If you're really going to drink this cup, you're going to have to learn to walk in authority over the enemy. And I know um, that most of you don't even, are, aren't aware of an evil that's arrayed against you. But you do have an enemy, Satan. And I know there's a lot of thought out there. Oh, you're talking about the devil? That's God's enemy. No, God doesn't have an enemy because he doesn't have an equal. He, he is uncomparable. There's none like him. Satan's not God's enemy. He's yours. That's why 1 Peter 5 says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for opportunity to devour people. Don't give him one. You say, well, how do I keep him from devouring me? You live in James uh, chapter 4, which says, Submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. All you will see is that tail wagging, that cat running away, which is actually the best way a cat could ever be. (laughs) Running away. Uh, Bless all you cat people with that. Satan is described as a cat. God bless you. All right. Come on. I know I moved on from preaching. Now I'm meddling. I know. Um, you say, well, then, okay, Pastor Otis, if, if, I, if I, I drink of the first cup by grace, how, how do I drink 
of this second cup. This cup of deliverance where God begins to transform me. Well, remember when the Apostle Paul was saying, ah, I see this war going on. You need to not only read Romans 7, you should also read Romans 6 and 7 and then 8. People who only quote 7 never give you the answer that the Apostle Paul gave as he continued to write. By the way, he didn't say, chapter 8, that's for us. He just kept writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here's the first thing. You want to actually begin to, to get free in, the way that, that in, in a way that changes the way that you walk. It changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you feel. Here's how. First thing is get comfortable with the idea that God's not condemning you. Satan condemns. God doesn't. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This isn't, by the way, you should be walking in the Spirit. Now, this next idea is... Is, is to say, look at verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you see that? There's freedom in the law of life connected to Christ. Now, how do we get there? Well, let's look at verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So people who stay trapped in these sin cycles, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, what the body wants, what the soul wants, and they, they, they set their minds on those things. But look at this next, it says, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So those who are living by the Spirit, they have said, listen, I'm actually going to choose to think on some different things. I'm going to participate with God, and I am actually going to think on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6 says, for to be carnally minded, it's leading to death, Back to slavery, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, what I'm about to say next is, is uh, some, people, some people who sit in churches, they like to predict what the preacher is going to say next. Some of you are already doing it. You're like, oh, I know what he's going to say. He's going to quote Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You probably didn't know the address, but you knew. He is going to say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're like, ah, oh, I know where he's going. I'm not going there. <laughs> I believe in that. That is how transformation comes. But I want to give you a key. I want to give you a key that you probably didn't see coming. If you really want to experience the promise of healing that God wants to bring in your life, here it is. 
Your relationships are the key. Your relationships are the key. The fastest way to change what you think is to change your associations. And by the way, I do believe fully in giving yourself to associating yourself with Christ who is the word of God in the flesh. However, relationships with people in the body of Christ are necessary. And I know this screams on the inside of you, some of you who've just been so taught, I don't need anyone else. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's the only one I need. I know you're going to quote to me great scriptures. That's wonderful. Like 1 John 1, 9, right? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is wonderful. Aren't you a believer that if you do confess your sins to God, that he is faithful and just? And he does do that. That's the first cup. We're talking about the second cup. So, there must be another confession scripture. I'm glad you asked. (laughs) James chapter 5 says this. If you confess your sins, it says, confess your sins one to another, what? And pray for one another that you may be what? The cup of deliverance is healing. You change your associations and your healing begins to flow. There, there might be some relationships you have to cut off if you really, not, not, it's not about being saved. It's not about you coming out of Egypt. It's about getting Egypt out of you. And this says that there is a healing reserved. There is a healing that is reserved for only those who get into real relationship with other spirit-minded, spirit-led believers. Let me say it to you this way. We need to go to God for forgiveness, but we need to go to God's people for healing. That's the word of God. That's what the word says. And I know right now that's especially not popular in this culture where we are all masked up. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, you thought I was talking about the mask you have to wear into Walmart. I'm talking about the one you put on when you left your mirror to walk into this place. I'm talking about that mask, the unseen mask that says, how are you, brother? Praise the Lord. 
that, that, that mess that, that makes everybody think you got it all together. Well, I just want to let you know, if you're the one that has it all together, you ruined the good thing that we had going here. Because all of us here are broken. All of us here are saying, God, I thank you for pulling me out of Egypt, but I'm running after you till all of Egypt comes out of me, till I think like a son, walk like a son, and look like Jesus to the world. I'm going to get in relationship with people. I'm going to confess the struggles that I got going on. Why? Because healing comes. But in order for that to happen, you got to take the mask off. Let me give you some practical ways you can change your associations. I got one right here. This is a public profession, baptism. A public profession. I'm changing my association. I used to live in the world apart from God, but I'm changing my relationship. Jesus has changed my life, and now I am on my way to heaven. I am saying now I am buried with Christ in baptism. I've got a new association. I would say it, I, I'm going to say it to you this way, and, and uh, for, for guests or visitors here, I really don't try to run people off but I really would say this. If you're not called here, run to the church that you're called to be a part of. We need to be a member of a body. We need to be a member of the body of Christ. We need to shift our associations. Why? Because I need to get around some other people who are following after the Spirit, who love me, who accept me, who, who say, you know what? I'm glad that God rescued us and has brought us out. And if we're going to be healed and whole and walk into God's purposes for us as a church, it will be because we took off the mask and said, you know what? I'm going to be a meaningful part of a body that makes a difference in a region. And let me make it way more practical. It's also life groups. What happens in here, I believe God saves a special grace for the corporate anointing. When we come together, we worship. God heals people, saves people. It's amazing what God does in this room week after week. We're stunned. We're amazed. We're, we're taken back by the goodness of God week after week. But I also want to tell you that there are people in two other services you'll probably never meet unless you intentionally go and find them. And it could be that your healing is wrapped up in a person who gets up way early than you. That's why when you leave today, you need to go find, find some people to run with. Go, go be a part. You want to change your thinking? You want to drink of this cup of deliverance? Start running with some spirit-minded people. Two cups. It's the cup of salvation and the cup of healing. I want to ask you, have you received from both cups today?